It's time to be equipped with spiritual battle. Defending the Faith is a show to train Christians worldwide to be effective teachers and speakers on the subject of biblical creation so that the next generation can stand firm on the biblical truth and defend their faith. Now here is your host of Defending the Faith, Mike Riddle. Welcome to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. And on this show, we talk about the ideas of creation, evolution, and biblical apologetics, or how to defend your faith, which incidentally is a biblical command. All Christians are supposed to know how to defend their faith. Now, we have a ministry called Creation Training Initiative, or CTI, and you can find us on the web at creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining.org. Also, you'll find on our website over 80 free 30-minute videos on these topics of creation, evolution, biblical apologetics. We also encourage you to email us with your comments or questions about creation evolution. And you can do that by emailing us at info, that's I-N-F-O, at creationtraining.org. Info at creationtraining.org. Now, our topic today is understanding the gospel, or you might say creation to the cross. Creation to the cross, understanding the gospel. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and John 3, 16, is really the central core of the Christian faith. And they read, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Then in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The good news that we can have everlasting life because of the works of Jesus on the cross is a wonderful message for Christians. This is the message commonly preached from the pulpit. However, this is not the complete gospel message. To help understand the full gospel, we can turn to Romans 1 through 4, chapters 1 through 4, where Paul systematically, step by step, breaks the gospel into four components. And I get these four components. I want to make sure we give credit to the book where I found these. It's called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert? A simple, easy-to-read book on the gospel. And in that book, he takes Romans chapters 1 through 4 and talks about how Paul, step by step, breaks the gospel into four components. Now, component number one. Paul tells us that since God is the creator of all things, we are accountable to him. We did not create ourselves, nor did we evolve by naturalistic processes. Because God created us is why we call him Lord, and it is our our obligation to give him honor and glory and not created things. We are completely dependent upon him and accountable to him. That's component number one, that God is the creator of all things. Component number two, Paul tells us that everyone has a problem because all have rebelled or sinned against God. Everyone stands guilty before God. He also lets us know that we are without excuse and all will be judged by God's righteous judgment. Paul also reminds us of our serious condition by stringing together a series of Old Testament quotations in Romans chapter 3 verses 10 and 12. And he states, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. 
all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Wow, what a statement. Finally, Paul makes it very clear in Romans 3.23 that we are separated from God by our sin when it states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is definitely not good news. Because of our sin, we are separated from a perfect, holy, and righteous God. At this point in the gospel message, we are without hope. So components one and two are the foundation of the gospel. Without these two components, we have no reason for the good news. Now let's look at component number three. Paul tells us in Romans that there is a solution and we are not without hope. God's solution to our sin is Jesus Christ's sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection. He does this solution. How, well, how does this solution work? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 3.24 when he states, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. There is a way we can be reconciled back to God and be counted as righteous. Isn't that good news? We can be declared innocent and not guilty before God. It has nothing to do with our works or attempting to live a better life. It is only through Christ's shed blood death on the cross, and resurrection, that we can have salvation. But this still leaves an unanswered question in the gospel. How do we partake in this salvation? That brings us to component number four. And Paul tells us how we can partake in the good news of salvation. He tells us it is only through our faith in the finished work of Jesus that we can be saved. That's Romans chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we read. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. You get that? Righteousness apart from works. In other words, it's only through God's grace and our faith, which God also allows us to have, that we can be saved. Now, Paul's presentation in Romans chapters 1 through 4 answers four central questions that help us understand the gospel. Number one, who made us and whom are we accountable to? Number two, what is our problem? Why do we need to be saved? Number three, what is God's solution to our problem? And number four, how do I become included in this salvation? These four questions can really be summarized as, God, man, Jesus Christ, and response. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the full gospel. It starts with God as creator, then man who rebelled, Jesus Christ our solution, and our response, which we saw is not by anything we can do, but what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, what did Paul do in Romans chapters 1 through 4? He laid the foundation for the good news. The reason Jesus went to the cross. In order to better understand and appreciate the good news, we need to know and understand the bad news. In other words, both the Old and New Testament are essential to understanding the gospel. We can see from Paul's presentation in Romans 1 through 4 also that the gospel message, ladies and gentlemen, does not start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
It starts in the book of Genesis. <clears throat> now, many churches seldom present the full gospel message. We might hear things like this from the pulpit, just preach Jesus, or Jesus is Lord, all you need is Jesus, or love one another, that's what really matters, or just believe Jesus. Now, these are all good, but they're not the gospel. Also, there are many false philosophies and false gospels being preached today, such as the prosperity gospel, also called the word of faith. It promises its followers health, wealth, and happiness. Or there's the works-based gospel. It requires followers to do something called works for their salvation rather than rely solely on the finished works of Jesus. There's the social gospel, also a false gospel. Cultural restoration becomes part of the gospel. Man is not so bad. Social salvation is superior to individual salvation. However, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus came to change people's heart and point them to God's kingdom. He did not preach a social reform. Then there's the universalist gospel, also a false gospel, where Christ effectively saved everyone on the cross and everyone will be in heaven someday. It focuses exclusively on God's love and mercy and ignores his justice and wrath. There's the mystical experience gospel, another false gospel, which relies on experiences rather than God's word. Then there's the theistic evolution gospel, another false gospel, which teaches death and destruction before sin. It changes the foundation of the gospel. In other words, it makes God the author of death and not sin. Then there's the whole emergent church movement, where they claim to be Christian, but they have a different meaning for truth and they actually change Scripture. Some are very subtle in the way they change their views of heaven, hell, and Jesus and the gospel. Some, though, avoid or deny many of the biblical doctrines such as hell, sin, and salvation through Jesus alone. There are many false gospels being preached from the pulpits out there today. John Piper, pastor, author, and chancellor of Bethlehem College and Seminary, states this, what is remarkable about modern liberal Christianity is how much of the gospel can be denied and the pastors and teachers still call themselves Christians. In the Bible, Paul called false gospels a very serious problem in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6-9, through and he states, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. For a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. This is a very serious message to many of our church leaders today. Stop preaching false gospels and come back to the finished works of Jesus Christ on that cross. Now, I'd like to tie together God's creation to the gospel and show you, again, a serious error that we have in many churches. So we're going to tie together God's creation to the gospel and get a better understanding of how compromising the beginning affects our understanding of the gospel. 
Now again, most Christians are familiar with the core verses that we went through. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and John 3.16. However, John 3.17 is also a very important verse for understanding the gospel. And it reads, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Did you notice that word saved there in John 3.17? This implies that something is wrong and we need to be saved. In other words, to fully understand the gospel, we must find out why we need to be saved and from what we need to be saved. To answer these questions and get get a better understanding of the gospel, we must, as previously stated, start from the very beginning with the verse in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This verse also again tells us a lot about God. Number one, he's the creator. He is Lord over all. It is why we call him Lord. In other words, he sets the rules for how we are to live. He sets the standards because he is the creator. He owns us. That's the first step in understanding the gospel, that he is the creator. The next step in understanding the gospel comes in Genesis 1.31, where his creation is perfect. We read this in Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. He called his creation very good or perfect. Now that we understand the foundation for the gospel starts in Genesis, we can expand and go through a full verse-by-verse gospel presentation, all four components that Paul taught us about in Romans 1 through 4. And again, a full verse-by-verse gospel presentation. And we start again in Genesis 1-1 with, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He's the creator and owner of all things. Genesis 1-31, he pronounced his creation perfect, very good, no death. But then we go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 in our gospel presentation here. God gave the first people, Adam and Eve, a warning. One warning. He said, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. Then God says, if you disobey me, there will be a consequence. And that consequence, consequence will be death. Then we turn to Genesis 3, verse 6. Adam and Eve disobey God. We have rebellion. We have sin. Then in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, we see that God keeps his promise. Death comes into creation. It hasn't been there before because God called his creation perfect in Genesis 1, 31. It wasn't until now, because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, their sin, God keeps his promise and death comes into all of creation, both spiritual and physical. Now, in our gospel presentation, we turn to the New Testament. We see this brought out also in Romans 6.23a, where it says, the wages of sin is death. Both the Old Testament and New Testament agree. As it says in Romans 5.12 also, death came through one man. Then in Matthew 5 in our presentation, verse 48, God gives us his standards. He says, my standards are, you must be perfect. In other words, God demands perfection. And then we go back to Romans 3.23 and we see, 
No one is perfect. All have fall, fall short of God's standards, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then we go to Isaiah 59, verse 2, which says, we are separated from God because of our sin. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not good. At this point in the gospel presentation, starting in Genesis 1-1, we are separated from a perfect and holy God. We are without hope. This is bad news in the gospel. But now, there's some good news. In Genesis 3.15, notice we're going back to the Old Testament again. The book of Genesis is so important to understand the gospel. Genesis 3.15, we have the first promise of hope, the promise of victory through a Savior. Genesis 3.15, and that promise is fulfilled in John 3.16 when God sent his only begotten son to suffer and die on that cross. So John 3.16 is that promise fulfilled. Then we read in Romans 6.23b that this gift, it's a free gift. It's not something we can work for, which brings out Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, our works are not good enough. It is a gift. It is by God's grace and his grace alone that we can be saved. And then he emphasizes the next step, John 14.6. He says, in order to have this gift, this free gift. There is only one way to get it. In other words, it's not automatic. It's a free gift, but it's not automatic. We have to accept it. But there's only one way to accept that, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. As it also says in Acts 4.12, there's no other name in all heaven for which we can be saved. It is only through his son, Jesus Christ, and the work that he did on the cross. Ephesians 2 Chapter 4 and 5 in our good news part of the gospel says it is God's grace and his grace alone. He says his grace. Now get this, people. Get this. this is very important. His grace, God's grace, our creator's grace is big enough to cover anything you have done. So if you may have thought you did the most grievous sin out there, but it's not too big for God. If you turn to him, in him alone, our God, our creator says, his grace can cover it. He also says in our presentation, gospel presentation in Romans 1, 19 and 20, you don't have an excuse. There are no excuses for not believing in creator God. He's given us all the evidence we need. No excuses. And then in 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 10, he says, we need to repent. He's given us this gift also of being able to repent. We need to repent, turn away from our sins, turn towards our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally, in Romans 10, 9, he says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does this mean? If you confess that means you declare, you promise something here. What are we promising? Jesus is Lord of your life. He is the master owner of you. He sets the rules for how you are to live. And then finally, saved. We will be saved. Saved from what? From eternal suffering. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the full gospel message. Bad news 
and good news. When was the last time you heard a message like that preached from the pulpit in your church? You see, many churches today unknowingly hold to a false gospel. Once you reject the history of the first three chapters of Genesis or add millions of years into Genesis, you have put death before sin. The foundation for the gospel depends on the historical accuracy of the first three chapters of Genesis. If the days of creation are not literal days but long ages, then we put death occurring before sin. This is because those who advocate long ages claim the geologic record took millions of years to accumulate. However, the geological record contains billions of fossils called dead things. All this would have happened before Adam and Eve. In addition, Genesis 1.31 teaches that God's creation was perfect. If we believe his creation took billions of years, then we're also saying that God called dead things very good. Jeffrey Tompkins, Ph.D. in genetics, makes this statement about that. It seems obvious to me that if I accepted the New Testament message of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, that I must also accept the biblical revelation regarding the six-day creation, especially since Jesus himself cited in Genesis 1 and 2 in declaring that man was created from the beginning of creation. Dr. Wang, Ph.D. in biblical studies and a Hebrew scholar, says, Often, people will use the old argument that we should concentrate on preaching the gospel rather than get distracted by sightings such as creation. But if we cannot believe the record of creation, then why believe the record of the new creation? Where it states, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Dr. Ventel, Ph.D., Physics, states, if the story of the fall of man is mythology, then there is no need for a plan of salvation. Jonathan Sarfati, Ph.D. in physical chemistry, in his book, The Genesis Account, a theological and scientific commentary on Genesis 1-11, through states, the major reason for atheist rejection of the gospel is that it is foolishness to those who are perishing. And one reason today for the apparent foolishness is that many evangelists try to preach the gospel without its Genesis foundation, and the atheists rightly see this as foolish. And finally, John MacArthur, pastor, author, sums up what we've been saying, and he states, So in an important sense, everything Scripture says about our salvation through Jesus Christ hinges on the literal truth of what Genesis 1-3 through teaches about Adam's creation and fall. You've been listening to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. We always enjoy hearing from you, our listeners. Send your comments, your questions. If you have any questions about creation evolution, send them to info, that's I-N-F-O at creationtraining.org. Also, we are supported by your donations. If these teachings have been helpful to you, we ask you to prayerfully consider sending us a donation so we can keep these messages on the air. Send your donations to CTI, that's three letters, C-T-N-I, C-T-I, to Post Office Box 2415, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. That's Post Office Box 2415, 
Eagle, Idaho, 83616. Or you can go to the web. Go to our website, creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining.org and make donations online. And finally, don't forget, the very first in the Bible is a critical verse. And it says, in the beginning, God created. Thank you and God bless you. That's all for today's show. Defending the Faith airs each Saturday at noon right here on KBXL 94.1 The Voice. For more teachings and resources, visit creationtraining.org or the program archive page on 941thevoice.com.